What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm in a house with a friend of mine who actually heard a podcast that I had with someone that she knew, and she reached out to me, and uh, we had connection called, talked, and man, I'm just like inspired by her story, and I'm also you know wanting to be a part of this story because this is just a phenomenal one. Wait till you hear this, guys. And before we get into it, introducing Erica, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for showing up every week. No, no, no. I'm thanking you too, Erica, but I'm thanking the audience right now. <laughs> thank you for showing up, audience, for you know support of the Woody Made Up movement. Thank you for reading the book, Rocket Fuel. And if you haven't, go get a copy. And also, we the, the tech product that we just launched, our new platform called Blueprinted. It's B-L-O-O printed. Go to that website, blueprinted.com and forward slash VIP. Check it out. We're looking for our first 100 architects to get into the app as soon as possible to start building their blueprints so that they can impact the world and inspire the world because success leaves tasks. Clues to, but tasks. So anyway, today we have Erica Sanders-Zur. She's a professional tennis player after a long-awaited professional tennis player, I should say. And wait till you hear her story. It's just phenomenal. I heard some of it when I was talking to her the other day. Erica, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, thank you. And you know what? You actually manifested this because you saw this on, I guess, Instagram or something else with someone else that was on my show, right? That's a friend of yours? Yeah, Michael Diamond. Michael Diamond, my man, Michael Diamond. And then you decided, hey, I'm reaching out and I want to be on that show. And you just took action and did it and got it done and look how fast it is. So I uh, commend you for that. But uh, we always start the show, Erica, with the question that's written on the wall here. What are you made of? What am I made of? I'm made of, I'm made of hope. I'm made of hope and I'm made of love. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I just, um, I have this will, you know, if there's a will, there's a way no matter what. And no matter how many no's you get, you're closer to a yes. And I just believe that no matter what happens, no matter how far down we've gone, no matter anything, it's never too late. I really I know it sounds like a cliche, but I feel like the whole world is our oyster and the only person that's holding us back is ourselves. Fear yeah. of failure, you know? So I'm yeah. made of hope. And yeah. Of- yeah. So uh, I agree. There's a lot of cliches out there, but they're actually cliches for a reason. But the problem is most people have a lullaby effect to them because they hear them so much and they don't do anything about them. And so it goes in one ear and out the other. The people that take them and do something about them, they're not cliches anymore. They become real, right? So take us back to your story. Let me, I mean, everybody's got a story. I want to hear your story. (laughs) So funny because I literally like just got off the tennis court 15 minutes ago and I'm, there's like a come down period from just like the intensity and the kind of training that, you know, at least I do. So I'm sitting here and I'm like... (laughs) No, 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 but uh, don't, 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 don't come down from it. Stay in it. Cause this show's, this show's supposed to be fire. So. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. I just thought it was so cool. I was thinking when I was finishing my last couple of hits where I was and where I am today. And 
been coming on, you know, your podcast and I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's really cool because it is, you know, what you put out to the world and what you put out is what you get back, you know? So, 100%. yeah. So yeah, I, I really, I wanted to say thank you first of all for having me on your show and, and sharing this with your listeners. Cause I think that's an honor. And I well, genuinely, you're welcome. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I want to be able to give back. I want to be able to share genuinely my experience and my story because I am that walking testimonial. I truly, if I could do it, another cliche, really, if I can do it, anybody can. So, you know, for me, I had a wonderful childhood. This disease does not discriminate at all. You know, I had said it once to you before, you know, I, my mother has a sip of non-alcoholic white Zinfandel and she's like, Oh, I think I feel it. I'm like, mommy, there's no alcohol. No, there has to be. And I don't know where I came from. You know, my dad is like this strong European. You don't get bitter. You get better. You add honey. You love, you don't burn bridges. You know, everything's a story. I met this man 50 years ago on a bus, you know, and, and I gave him a penny and then I just saw him a week ago and, you know, now I'm working for him. Just like, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's cool. And then, um, well, but so it sounds well, like, but, <laughs> well, but, but you said disease and, and we didn't really introduce you. Like, so what, what disease oh, yeah. are you so, talking about? So, um, I'm in recovery also from drugs and alcohol, from everything, any ism a person can have, I've had, whether it's shopping, gambling, sex, men, women. So, but Crack was my drug of choice. And I was, um, I went to a co-ed private school and I played tennis. I was number one, actually, in Northeastern Ohio from age, I believe it was either 10 or 12 and under to 18. And that's all I did. I, you know, I went to school and I played tennis. I was very innocent and very family oriented. And all we did was, you know, play tennis, well, that whole family, you know, my sister and I, we, we played tennis and I was, it was my senior year of high school. I was working at a coffee house and there was a busser that was there. And he's like, yeah, I'm having a birthday party. Come across the street. It's little old man. And uh, I'm like, sure. So I, you know, go across the street and there was like three people there. And I had heard of like heroin, and cocaine and marijuana and ecstasy. And, um, but I never heard of crack. And there were these white rocks everywhere on the table. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, you want to try it? I'm like, sure. Why not? So they put a, $30 hit a crack on a pipe. And the second that I hit it, the second I hit it, I was hooked. So, you know, 19 rehabs later, homeless on many, many streets in the United States of America. You know, my attorney had once asked me, have you ever been arrested? I'm like, which state? <laughs> you know, so, you know, everybody knows um, where this disease, if you've ever, if you've ever been in this disease, you know, or even if you're a family member of somebody or a friend who has somebody suffering from drug or alcoholism or, or any addiction, they understand how profound and deep this disease really can take a person, you know? So, cause I don't, I don't think that any human being or a mother in their right mind would choose, you know, a $5 hit a crack over their child, unless there was something serious about this addiction and that drug. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so how old were you then? I was 17 or 18 years old. And were you drinking at all then at that age or doing anything no, else? I, no, crack was the first thing I ever put into my body. So. And and then from there, what happened? Like you're saying you're hooked, but like what happened from there? Like Yeah, so probably about, it was about two weeks later, I was already out on the streets. You know, back then um, there was a Kinko's copy, you know, you didn't have computers at the house yet or printers or anything. And so 
Um, and my parents were so innocent. So I'd say like I had to do like schoolwork, you know, at Kinko's copy because it was open 24 hours at the time. And so like I had the excuse that I was gone for over the night, you know, because why would they know? And I remember two weeks into the disease, I had sold, I had a 97 Mitsubishi Eclipse and I sold that for $20. (laughs) Hold hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So I had an Eagle Talon and I'm trying to think, oh, mine was, I think it was, mine was a 1995 Eagle Talon, which is the same car. And what, what year was yours? It was the 97 Mitsubishi. Oh, so two years later. So yeah, because I had a, mine was a blue color, similar to that blue, maybe a little darker. And it had a black top on it. It was just awesome. I love that car. But anyway, anyway, not to throw you off your story. No, no, no. It's fine. fine. But you sold it for 20 bucks. Yeah, 20 bucks. And then I had a a $700 Nikon camera. I sold that for $30. (laughs) I sold the camera for more than the car. And you know, I laugh as I'm saying this now, you know, this isn't funny at all, but I've worked through this and, you know, in hindsight, looking back, you, you know, I mean, there's yeah, it, it, just it, the very beginning, you know, so there's a story that I share just so that, cause I don't like at this point sharing this huge, long drunk log. So no, no, I wouldn't want you to do that anyway. Yeah. So there's a couple of things though, that I will say that was in the very beginning of my addiction. And you would have thought that would have been enough for me to stop. And that was just the very beginning. And it's a story. So I was on the streets of East Cleveland and I had a full ride to Indiana University to play tennis. And I lost that because I chose crack or it chose me. And so I was, they called it Big Mama's House. And it's where all the drug dealers and everybody went to the end of the night to count their money and, you know, have sex with everybody. And men with men, women with women. And it really was kind of like, you know, what you see in the movies. And I had it been like the third day and um, Big Mama was just, she wasn't a big lady. She was like this old, really old lady with no teeth. And, you know, and she thought that I had stolen from her. And I wasn't that part in my, my addiction yet where I knew about stealing or anything. You know, I just knew that I needed to get high. And so she went to her back room and she was going to get a gun to shoot me. And there were these four guys and they picked me up and they took me and, you know, they're like, we'll take care of you. And so they got me in their car and they took me, you know, down the street and I'll, and I, and I'll never. <laughs> so they take me into their house and there's this narrow stairwell that I go up and I walk past this couch and we go into this back room and to the left, there was a closet with one of those, you know, just one hanger going back and forth. And then in the back room or the back of the room, there was a window with this screen kind of ripped. And then to the right, there was just mattress on the ground with a plastic on it just ripped. And they threw me on the bed. Each one of them took their turn and they, they raped me from behind. And then when they were done, they threw a $5 hit of crack at me. And, and don't, you know, I picked that piece of crack up real fast and I smoked it. And, you know, when they were done with me, it was the middle of the winter and you know, I was bleeding and I didn't have shoes and I'm walking in the snow, you know, not having a clue what's going on. I was so young and I was so innocent, you know, and that was just the very beginning for me. You know, I mean, I was really hooked, you know, and and there's many facets to, you know, learning how to all the different ways of doing the street life, you know, and that was just, like I said, the very beginning. 
So. Well, and, and you laugh and you laugh because I know, I know why you laugh because I think back about when I was younger and doing some of the stupid shit that I did. And I just think like, what the hell was I thinking? But you weren't thinking because this thing grabs, grabs your mind and it grabs your control factors and uh, facilities. And man, like nobody expects to be hooked. You know, no. like you didn't even know really what the hell you were doing. No, not and at all. yeah, that's that's uh, yes, but that's why you're laughing. I mean, I know I get it because you're like, how stupid could I have been? But but you're judging yourself based on, you know, so. So, you know, so I ended up going to Ohio State. I walked on at Ohio State. I played tennis for them. And, you know, I was so ho- hold on. I got to stop you. I got to stop you. So where we are in the story, you were still doing this. How often would you be doing doing drugs? Oh, I was every second of every single day. I was in it like that. Like okay. I, so, so then how did you go to, how did you finish high school and how did you end up going to Ohio state and still go to practice and all that stuff? Yeah. So when I graduated high school, I was at my first rehab and, um, they gave me a pass to go graduate and then I had to go back into rehab. And then when I got out of rehab, you know, I didn't have any understanding. I just, you know, they told me that I wasn't allowed to do it. And I, I mean, at that time, I didn't know that I was white knuckling it. You know, I, I didn't have a clue. So, and my family's like, you're going to college. <laughs> like, this isn't, you're going to college. And so I was, I met a boy who I, you know, fell in love with and he was at Ohio State. So that's why I chose Ohio State. And I went there to Ohio State. But, you know, I did drugs throughout all of college. It just, I didn't smoke crack. So I thought it was okay, you know, because I didn't, I didn't know the difference. And I didn't graduate from Ohio State. You know, it's very interesting because it's not just the disease. It's not just crack that, you know, was the problem. It's, it's, I was such a prima donna, you know, and the whole world revolved around me and I didn't ever, I was always into the next moment. You know, I, I don't have memories of things because I was so busy worrying about what I had to say or, you know, I want, I had, you know, this in my hand and I needed that, that was over there. There was no appreciation for anything whatsoever. So college is a fog for me completely. And, you know, by my senior year, I mean, I was actually at Ohio State for five years. So by my senior year, it was at the very end, right before I was going to graduate where I had found cocaine. And I had never done cocaine until my senior year of college. And cocaine was, that's what brought me back to crack, you know? And there's many facets to this, you know, like I would put together two and a half years, three and a half years, four and a half years, one year, you know, in different periods, because I'm 42 years old now, but I never call that healthy mental health sobriety, you know, because just because I had put the drug down, I still used people or used myself or, you know, used you as my God or had a man as my God or a woman as my God, anybody, you know what I mean? And anything to not feel, whether it was shopping, gambling, sex, anything. So whenever I put together those years, sure, I I put together a facade, you know, but it was never, I mean, it was never healthy. (laughs) And that's why I always went back, you know, because I never filled the void. So what, what was the turning point? So fast forward to the last drug use for me really took me down. I mean, it all took me down, but you know, this time now I had children and uh, I had lost custody of both of my kids. You know, I have a seven year old and a 10 year old now. Wait, how, how, how old I missed the, missed the first one? 17? Seven and 10. Oh, seven and 10. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, and I've, I've had full custody of them now for about three and a half years. So, but when I lost custody of them, I really, 
I was past the point of no return. You know, it, it's, I didn't want to live, but I didn't want to die. I didn't want to get high anymore, you know, and I couldn't stop. And what do you do? And I remember I was trying, you know, at different points to try to get healthy, you know, and I met my now husband and I had met him at a, a yoga studio. And I thought that I could hustle him. I went there actually to try to find somebody so I can get money, you know, so I can go get high. And he was my target. <laughs> and so I asked if he wanted to go out later on that night and he said, okay. And, you know, I had never met anybody that talked more than me and it was him. <laughs> and when we were sitting and we were talking, I was such a street person that I was listening to this gentle man who had substance. And I had remembered that from my childhood you know, conversations and substance. And I remember a couple of weeks later, you know, I was at a crack house and I had called him and I said, listen, I'm like, you don't know me, you know, we're not dating. And if you never speak to me again, that's okay. But if you don't come and get me, I'm going to die here. And he came and he picked me up. We called it Jordan Rehab. But the first year, you know, that we were together, I was, he was, he's a sound engineer, you know, and a, a production manager for rock stars. That's why he was able to take me on. And he was touring for that first year. So we weren't really together at all. I had to figure this out. But I had a safer place to go because my house, I had the streets living in my house. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCROC.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Did he know like the first time you met him or the first like no. anything no. like that? No. No, not at all. Gotcha. And, and so there came a point where I would watch him in his house and he would like prepare the coffee at night to get it ready for the morning, or like he would make his bed. He had a bed. Yeah. You know, or he he had shampoo <laughs> in his shower and it was a beta. And I was like, oh my God. You know, and he would do his laundry and he even had like this lemon holder that you put lemons in in the fridge to keep the lemons <laughs> and I'm like so I would watch him and I remember thinking to myself with or without him I want that you know even when he was like in Australia touring I would watch him take his vitamins the same time that he would take it here at home and it blew my mind I, I didn't have any understanding I mean I, I hadn't slept in years <laughs> you know what I mean and I hadn't eaten you know and watching this healthy person with boundaries and you know what is that you know, and, yeah, and yeah. this instability. And, and I remember wanting that so badly, just not being able to do it. And then one day I just, I was in a crack house and, um, again, I had been out for what felt like a year, you know, and, you know, I had always promised this is going to be the last one or I would throw the crack pipes, you know, <laughs> and then I go like in the backyard and try to find them or the streets or whatever afterwards, taking it back. And this time I was so broken. I mean, I was, I was so broken. And I remember taking my last hit and I was sitting down on this bench. There was, there was a table next to me and I was sitting like on like a kind of bench next to the table. And I took the hit and this girl was in front of me. We'd been partying or whatever, using for a couple of days together. And we were in it and her eyes changed. I'm a very spiritual person. I talk about spirituality a lot because for me, I'm very connected. God is my higher power. I'm not religious. I'm very spiritual. And so this girl looks at me and her eyes just changed. And I took that hit and I was pushed off the chair. And I looked to my left and there was nobody there. And she looks at me and she goes, didn't you feel that? 
she goes, you know, that's spirit telling you this is your last chance, you know, to get out. And she looked at the door and I remember thinking to myself how scared I was, you know, because I knew I had prayed before and before and before that, you know, and I remember asking for the willingness to just want the will to even be sober, just to have any willingness whatsoever. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if you're really there, God, you know, if there is a God and you're this almighty and you're, you know, can do anything, I'm going to trust you. And I remember saying to myself how scared I was because I've asked this before, but I really meant it. And I walked out that door and I promised myself, I knew that this was going to be hard and it was going to be painful, but I was willing now anything had to be better than what I was going through. And I walked out that door and it was 7-11-2017. I've been sober since. And I remember going to my attorney and we were sitting at Panera and he looked at me and he's like, Erica, he's like, I can't help you if you're not going to get honest. And I'm thinking to myself, what is honesty? Like, you know, somebody would say that it's nighttime outside, you know, when it was nighttime and I'd be like, no, it's not, it's light outside. You know, like there was not an honest bone in my body, not because I wanted to hurt anybody, but because I was always protecting myself from feeling anything because all I wanted to do was just feel what I wanted to feel, you know? And, and so I remember just looking at him and just saying, okay, you know, I'm going to do this. And so we went to all the courthouses because I was on probation in four different counties. And I remember standing before each judge and I just told the truth. I told everything. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it was amazing because the second that I got honest with everybody, everybody came and started helping me. It was unbelievable. I mean, you know, if you don't speed, you're not going to get a ticket. You know, Mm -hmm. and now that I told everything, I didn't have anything to hide anymore. So there was this unbelievable freedom that I had. And that's where I got this hope because I'm like, if I don't have to hide anymore, I could just tell the truth. I could tell how hard this is and what I'm really going through and, and all the places that I stole from and, and the people that I hurt and the cars that I robbed. And the, I was a full blown, you know, I mean, all the, the men and the women and the children and everything that I was doing to myself and to my family and my kids and everybody, whoever I touched, you know, and it was over. You know, I told the truth and I got to say, I'm really, I'm sick. Like, I don't know how to help myself. Help me. And people helped me. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Asking for help, man. (laughs) It was, it was, you know, and there was these little moments. So across the street from where I live, there's a parking spot, there's Brooks Brothers. And it talks about, there's a parking spot that says Brooks Brothers parking only. And so Uh, I saw that sign, you know, and rules never applied to me ever. (laughs) You know, that's where I would park. If there was a long line, I would always just pass everybody and go in front of it because, again, rules didn't apply to me and I was the center of the universe. And uh, I remember looking at that sign. I think that I was about like a maybe almost a year sober. I had just gotten my license back and I saw that sign and said Brooks Brothers parking only. And I was like, damn, I'm not going to Brooks Brothers. (laughs) And I remember, looking at it and not parking there for the first time and finding another parking spot, you know, and that was the first time that I was honest with myself alone where nobody was looking. And that little act of honesty is what started to build my self-esteem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and it gave me self-worth, you know, and, and I would listen to songs like, you know, like Whitney Houston, greatest love of all. Yeah. Like you really need to listen to the words of that because it, you know, I always heard kind of like what we said in the beginning of this about cliches. Mm -hmm. I always heard that 
how can I love anybody or how can anybody love me if I don't love myself? What a concept. Like, why would you want to hang out with me if I don't want to hang out with me? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Totally. So, and so, so, no, no. So I, I want to be respectful of your time because we're, we're, we're t- cutting here and I want to make sure that, no, no, we'll, 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 I want to hear some more of this, but then also just remember, I want to hear like what you're doing now. Cause what, what you're doing now is what matters now. Right. Like that, no, but I want to hear the, I want to hear the rest of the Whitney story, Whitney story real quick. And then, and then, yeah. and then I want to hear about what you're doing now, because it's so important. Like this, this is like, this is amazing what you're onto. So, so it's just, the song is just about learning how to love yourself and that, you know, learning love myself is the greatest love of all. You know what I mean? If I don't love me, it's, there's nothing. Yep. And so anyway, I made this vision board about uh, two and a half, two and a half years ago now. And I thought, how awesome would it be to get center quarter to Grand Slam? Let the world know that, you know, you could be at that time 40 in recovery from drugs and alcohol and have a do-over in life. And the next day after I made that vision board, I kid you not, I ran into my old tennis coach who I grew up with at a Starbucks that he never goes to. 15 years. He never goes to Starbucks. I hadn't seen him the day after I made that vision board. And so it's awesome. And so I'm like, this is it. I'm going to start playing tennis again. And so he takes me, uh, he takes me to a film festival and, you know, Nick Volatieri, it was his film, Love Means Zero. Those of you who don't know who Nick Volatieri is, he's one of the number one coaches in the world. You know, he has 10 top number one Grand Slam winners like Serena Williams, Andre Agassi, Maria Sharapova. And I saw the documentary and I was like, I want to meet him. Like, I want him to know my story. And so I strategically placed myself at IMG in Florida and I went to like this adult clinic. And this guy named Roger, you know, puts me in this room. I tell him my story and he's like, wow, this is awesome. And he puts me in this room and he calls Nick Volatieri and I'm like, oh my God, you know, because <laughs> that's like starstruck. So I get on the tennis court with Nick Volatieri. I'll just tell this part quickly and then I'll skip to right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Nick is like, come on, bring her out to the court, you know, and he's like action. And so I play and he's like, well, kid, you know, let's see if you're coachable and teachable. and he never made fun of my dream. And I talk about this a lot. He never said it was too big. He always said, I'm going to give you the opportunity and you're the one who's going to need to do it. But here, I'm going to pave the way for you. It's up to you. So the only one who can fail is you if you hold yourself back because I'm giving you the road to do it. And long story short, I made it on the, I made it on the tour. I'm at the very bottom of the totem pole, <laughs> the very bottom. But, you know, it's funny because if you look up my name now, you know, and Google, it used to have all of my mugshots and now it says I'm a professional tennis player. And I don't say that like, oh my God, like this is so awesome. Like I'm saying like, holy shit, you know, you don't see my mugshots anymore. And that's possible for it to happen with a person like me, you know, and today I have full custody back of my children. I'm remarried. You know, we just bought our house, which is crazy because I was a homeless person you know, and I have a home today and I have a team and I have, I think the most amazing part of this story, and it doesn't, there's not enough time about this, but I'm healthy. The only way that any of this is possible is I'm healthy and I'm, and it's hard. It's hard getting healthy. Like this shit is hard, you know, and being accountable for my actions and knowing when to say, you know, I didn't mean to say that. I really actually have not a clue what I'm saying. If you could just give me a minute, let me try this again, or I'm just going to be quiet, you know? And the 
you know, there's so many facets to this story, what it took to get custody back of my children. It's not just like, oh, I got my kids back. Like this was easy. Like the first year of my sobriety, I wasn't allowed to talk to my kids or see my kids because I was that drug addict and alcoholic where um, I faked every drug test and I manipulated the system that they had to actually change the court system here in Ohio because of, of me. It was that bad, you know, and you know, doing the weekly drug tests and getting naked and having them look inside of me, you know, because of hiding every single urine or whatever it was and the, the hair testing and the nail testing and the toenail testing. And I remember at, you know, six months sober, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to get my kids back. And my therapist is like, no, you're not. And I'm like, what? You know, and then a year sober, he's like, all right, you're ready to get your kids back. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Cause now I was doing the work. Right. Right. You know? And, and so today now, you know, we have a dynamic that works because I'm honest with my kids. The only way that they were able to heal was by me telling them the truth, you know, but now they have understanding and empathy for this disease. And then if something comes up in this house or when I'm driving and I'm feeling a feeling or I'm feeling like I smell crap, you know what I mean? Just because I do, I could say, oh my God, like the car smells like crack. And they're like, mommy, you know, but, but I get to be honest and let it Yeah. Happen. Yeah, and yeah. The team on the tennis court, I mean, the, the mental work that they're doing for me, it's a dream come true. I mean, it's teaching me how to get to a level of thinking where I always knew I was capable of doing it, but I, I didn't have the guidance or the tools and I wasn't ready yet because in order for me to get to this level that I'm going to get to, I have to be able to, I get to be honest with myself and everybody around me, you know? And yeah, I love it. I love it. So where's your goal? Where's your grand goal to get into a grand slam? Yeah, absolutely. Not just to get into it. No, but I mean, get into the final, the yeah, finals. Get yeah, yeah. There and, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I'm with you and I just need to know what you need help with. So um, because I want to see it happen too. So no, look, thank you for being here. You're inspiring. And uh, just understand that this isn't just about you now. It's about the people that you're inspiring now, because there's going to be tons of people that are going to look up to you and look at your story and be like, well, she can do it. I can do it. Like you said. And I just want to commend you for that, making that decision. I mean, look, we've all done some stuff in the past. We just got, like you said, we got to forgive ourselves, tell the truth and move on because that's like, life's too short as it is anyway. So, but thank you for sharing what you're made of. Eric, I appreciate you being here and your time you're spent here. And I look forward to, like I said, anything I can do to support you. I'll just thank reach out you to your so boy, C-Rock. I just, I really wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you to everybody that listens to your show. And that if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, you know, I do answer my direct messages. So I think that the only way that this can work is by us supporting each other and sharing the truth with each other. So, you know, again, I think that you're wonderful and I'm looking oh, forward you. to seeing the next step in our relationship also. And thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you very much, Eric. I pre appreciate that. It means the world. And uh, thank you for reaching out to me in the first place. So. Yep. Uh, you guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. And as you can see, Erica is unstoppable as well. Thanks for listening. Keep supporting. Go subscribe to the podcast and go check out the Blueprinted app, B-L-O-O printed.com forward slash VIP. Go check that out right now because it's a new product platform that we put, just put out to help people achieve success in any vertical. So we're looking forward to helping you out with that. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you 
that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.